Hello and welcome to Coco Pods Podcast, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sagade. I'm a women's health specialist. On this podcast, we want to talk about all the issues that affect women and with a focus to maternal health and all the aspects of that. Today, we will be talking about pelvic pain in women and how this can affect fertility. And we're fortunate to have with us today, Cynthia. Cynthia, thank you for coming to Coco Pods podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Sagardi. So, you know, just by definitions, you know, endometriosis pronounced like that is often a painful disorder in which tissue similar to tissue that normally lines the inside of your uterus called the endometrium. This tissue grows outside your uterus. Endometriosis most commonly involves the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, and the tissue lining your pelvis. At times, endometrial-like tissue may be found in areas beyond where your pelvic organs are located, at times like on the rectum or around the umbilicus. With endometriosis, the endometrial-like tissue acts as endometrial tissue would normally act. That is, it thickens, breaks down, and bleeds with each menstrual cycle. But because this tissue has no way to leave the body, It becomes trapped. And when endometriosis involves the ovaries, the cysts are called endometriomas and this could form. Surrounding tissue can become irritated, eventually developing scar tissue and what we call adhesions. And these bands of fibrous tissue can cause the pelvic tissues and the organs to stick to each other. Endometriosis can cause pain, sometimes severe pain, especially during the menstrual periods. And fertility problems may also develop. Fortunately, there are effective treatments available. So Cynthia, we're going to invite her because we want her to talk to us about her journey from, you know, when she was young with pain that later became characterized as pelvic pain and how this has played out in her life. So Cynthia, good morning and thank you for coming to Coco Pods podcast. Good morning, Dr. Sagadi. So when did you first start having painful menstrual periods? I would say probably right from the beginning, but I just remember the periods being very heavy. And really for my first period, I still remember the heaviness of it and also passing a lot of clots. How old were you then? I was 13. Mm. I would say, of course, a period is you're going to have cramps. So as a 13-year-old who's never had a period before, you're told that's expected, you're going to have cramps. But as I got older, the pain, the cramps got worse. And I would say by the time I was 20 years old, 
they were so painful. I was needing to take days off from work. So they've just progressively got more and more painful. But again, I just just thought that was normal because that's what my mother told me. That's what my sisters uh, shared with me, that they had the same experience. So I just dealt with it. Now, would the pain be so bad that you had to double over? Did you have vomiting with the pain? Did you have some women have loose tools, diarrhea around the time of their periods? Can you tell us what your experience of pain was in that your teenage, early adulthood life? So um, I do want to clear up because I don't want to make anyone think that at 13, I was doubled over in pain with my very first period. I wasn't. Obviously, a, a period is painful and I had menstrual cramping and I never, obviously, if you've never had period before, you wouldn't have cramping. So that was new. And I guess I was trying to understand this new concept of a menstrual cycle. So I wanted to find out from other women in my family what is normal and what isn't. So I would describe how many pads I soaked, how much you know cramping I was having, what should I take as my guide for what I should do managing this period on my own so that I'm not continuously going to them every time I have a cycle. I wanted to you know, understand. And of course, these conversations probably should have happened before I had my first period, but they didn't. So I would say by the time I was in my 20s, because I was you know, out of high school now. And I remember just even navigating my college classes with my periods and having to leave early sometimes or miss class because I was doubled over in pain. And I did have GI symptoms. Gastrointestinal symptoms. Yes, definitely. And the most common thing I noticed is loose stools with my periods. And I had that, I would say, pretty much not right from the beginning, but that was an early symptom that I just came to accept that when I was going when I had my period, I would have more frequent bowel movements. You know, you went through college and, um, you know, you still had this pain, you know, at some point did you or you and your mother seek professional help from a professional women's health care or a primary care physician concerning these symptoms? I did it on my own at 18. I just started reading more about periods and what, uh, how to take care of yourself as a, as a young woman. And so I had read that, you know, by 18, you should see a gynecologist and have a pap smear. So I made an appointment and that was one of the first things I wanted to address was my periods and the, how painful they were and the amount of clots I was passing because at this point, now five years into my periods, the heavy bleeding was not getting better. The clots were getting more frequent the first three days of my period and the pain was affecting my life. So I, at 18, I did make an appointment to see a gynecologist to discuss that. So where would you say the pain was? Was it in your lower abdomen? Was it in your back? Was it, you know, can you describe like this pain that you felt? Was it only at the time of your periods? Okay. So that's interesting that as we continue to talk, the type, the way the pain, the pain I was experiencing, it began, it changed. Of course, it became more intense, but the pain at that time, my teenage, early 20 years was lower pelvic pain. And I did have back pain as well too. 
That's, that's what I remember in my younger years. And as I got older, the pain became more severe, more generalized abdominal pain, more GI symptoms, meaning more, more loose stools, more cramping with my bowel movements. And I just remember, I believe I was at this point, maybe my late 20s, early 30s is when I found out I had an ovarian cyst because I started having this pain that would shoot down my legs when I would have my period. And when I hear, when I used to tell people, I have cramps that I feel in my big toe. <laughs> I mean, that's how severe the pain would be. It was, I didn't understand it, but yeah. Wow. You know, so, you know, you went through college, you're um, actually a healthcare professional, finished college, got married, and you were trying to have a family. Can you tell us about that experience and some of the issues that you had? Yes. And I do want to just comment also as patients, if you believe that your symptoms are normal because you've been told that and you believe that your whole life, when you see a health professional, you may not describe your symptoms in the way in which it would attract that professional's attention. So if I make a comment to say I saw a professional at 18 and then I saw another one when I started having more severe pain in my 20s, I believe I had, I found out I had a cyst uh, when I was 30. That's not really the health, I'm not blaming them because I was downplaying my symptoms as well too. So if they told me, oh, that's, you know, normal, it's okay, take this medication, I just did it and I just accepted it. I didn't feel like, even though in my mind and my body, I felt like this cannot, is this what every woman goes through? But when the women around you are telling you, yes, it is, then you don't keep going to the doctor. So I didn't keep pushing the issue till, you know, 10 years later when the pain was becoming, affecting my life so much, so severe that I finally went and someone did an ultrasound and found out I had an ovarian cyst at that point. But I probably had some of these issues even before then, but I didn't keep going. I just went for my yearly exam and that was it. I don't even remember continuing to talk about my periods or how painful they were or anyone even asking me if they did. It was just, I accepted it as normal, even though it just seemed unbelievable that this was normal. When I finally realized that this was not normal was, as you said, I was seeking fertility because at this point, I was married and having unprotected sex, which at this point I knew to, I, I wanted to go sooner. I mean, I was just, you know, later in life and I just was so focused on starting a family. I wanted to know before I even started. And then I kind of calmed myself down and said, okay, they're probably going to just say, go back, keep trying for a year and come back. So that's what I did. I didn't bother to make an appointment until it had been a year and nothing was happening. And then that's when we started having the more deep conversations about my cycles, my pain, my period, and the pattern, the clots, everything. It just, and it started sounding like this was endometriosis to the provider. And I went and had a laparotomy. You know, just before you go on, Cynthia, I just want to say that, you know, talking about the symptoms of endometriosis, the primary symptom of endometriosis is pelvic pain. And the pain is often associated with menstrual periods. And al although many women experience cramping during their menstrual periods, those with endometriosis typically describe menstrual pain that's far worse than usual. So this is very subjective because your 
mother, your sister, your aunties could say, yes, the pain is going to be bad. But if you feel like your symptoms are far worse than usual, and also if you feel that your pain is increasing over time, like Cynthia described, then you might want to ask for evaluation for endometriosis. The common signs and symptoms of endometriosis include painful periods. Medically, we call that dysmenorrhea. Pelvic pain and cramping may begin before and extend several days into a menstrual period. You may also have low back pain and abdominal pain, as Cynthia just described. You may have pain with intercourse, dyspareunia. Pain during or after intercourse is common with endometriosis. You may have pain with bowel movements or with urination. You may have excessive bleeding during your periods, experiencing occasional heavy menstrual periods, or bleeding between periods, intermenstrual bleeding. Sometimes endometriosis is first diagnosed in those seeking treatment for fertility. So endometriosis may be linked to infertility. And there are some other signs and symptoms like Cynthia described here. You may experience diarrhea, loose tools at the time of your periods, fatigue, constipation, bloating, or nausea, especially during your menstrual periods. The severity of your pain may not be a reliable indicator of the extent of your condition. You could have mild endometriosis with severe pain, or you could have advanced endometriosis with little or no pain. And endometriosis is sometimes mistaken for other conditions that cause pelvic pain, such as pelvic inflammatory disease, ovarian cysts. It may also be confused with irritable bowel syndrome, a condition that causes bouts of diarrhea, constipation, and abdominal cramping. Irritable bowel syndrome may accompany endometriosis, and this will make the diagnosis complicated. So I want to go back to Cynthia. She, you know, completed college, got married, wanted to start a family, and had some difficulties in doing this. So Cynthia, we want to go back to you. So you you wanted to start a family. It was not happening. You still had the pelvic pain and the abnormal bleeding. And now, you know, as a healthcare professional yourself, what were some of the thoughts going through your mind? And what were some of the actions, the definitive actions that you took? When I started the fertility process or before? So when you were concerned that you're not getting pregnant. Yes. You're trying, you're not getting pregnant. You're still having this pain and this abnormal bleeding. Did that make you think of, okay, I really need to get checked right now. And what was that process for you? Yeah. So I didn't go to, at the time I was seeing someone before I, I saw you. So I didn't go to my gynecologist's office. I just immediately made an appointment with a fertility specialist and just wanted to see if they could start a workup on me. 
So some of the things that we discussed in my initial session was, of course, how long had I been trying and just what you described, the symptoms that I was having. I did want to mention that nausea was very much a part of my symptoms. So I did have that. I did have the loose bowels and sometimes diarrhea, which uh, my primary at times had told me that, just like you said, it could have been irritable bowel syndrome. So the thought process of what could be going on, we started going down different pathways and endometriosis was never was never brought up. Once there was a cyst found, then it was focused on your pain was related to that. I had an ultrasound at one point, I don't remember exactly when, and it showed some suggestion of a fibroid. So then the heavy periods were blamed on that. And so again, it was just endometriosis discussion just was not a part of the conversation, nor did I even think that that was even a possibility. I do believe that when we saw the fertility specialist, one of the important things that I remember is the length of time by this time, I'm in my 30s, the length of time in which I was having pain. So I would cramp starting two weeks before my period. I could actually put it on the calendar. If I was due on, you know, the 14th of the month, I would start cramping around the first of the month. And that is affecting my ability to be intimate because now I'm nauseous, I'm cramping, I'm fatigued, I'm having low back pain, I'm not feeling well, I'm just not in the mood. And so that's a whole two-week period. I'm not having intercourse with my husband to make even a possibility of a pregnancy, you know, happen. And then, of course, I'm not having period... uh, sex during my period, and then the pain would continue after my period. So there was maybe a one-week period, maybe, every month that I was not in pain and not having a period. And if we could not line our schedules up during that that week, and sometimes that sometimes those weeks turned into four days, those are not even your most fertile days to get pregnant, Right. I mean, so 10 days after my period starts, I'm still cramping. I'm still having a discharge. I mean, it was so frustrating that I knew when I should be having sex, I just couldn't do it. I just was not feeling well. I was my period sometimes would last longer. I was still I just didn't understand the cramping before, during and after. It was seemed like the my menstrual cramps was just taking over my life. And again, like I said, we could line up our schedules in those few days then I missed an opportunity because then I started the cramping cycle all over again. It was miserable. Wow. Wow. That must have been a difficult, difficult period of time. You know, so you went to the fertility doctor and they started the workup, which included a lot of blood work. That's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, just before we delve into that, I want to talk about, you know, people might ask what causes endometriosis? What what is the cause of endometriosis? So the exact cause of endometriosis is not known, but there are possible explanations. There's something in which we call retrograde menstruation. So in retrograde menstruation, menstrual blood containing endometrial cells flows back through the fallopian tubes and into the pelvic cavity instead of flowing out of the body through the cervix and vagina. These endometrial cells stick to the pelvic walls and the surfaces of pelvic organs where they grow and they continue to thicken 
and bleed over the course of each menstrual cycle. So that growth and thickening causes pain. The growth and thickening will cause pain. And then another possible explanation is what we call transformation of peritoneal cells. So this is in what we call an induction theory in which experts think that hormones promote the cells that line the inside of your abdomen called peritoneal cells to morph or change into endometrial-like cells. So that is the theory of the transformation of peritoneal cells. Transformation of peritoneal cells is another possible explanation. In what is known as the induction theory, experts propose that hormones or immune factors promote the transformation of cells that normally line the inner side of the abdomen, that is the peritoneal cells. It changes them or makes them morph to become endometrial-like cells. Another possible explanation is what we call embryonic cell transformation. That is, hormones such as estrogens can transform embryonic cells, that is, cells that are in the earliest stages of development in your body. So the hormones can transform these cells into cells that look like endometrial cells implant during puberty. So the embryonic cell transformation explanation is that there are hormones such as estrogens that may transform embryonic cells, that is cells in the earliest stages of development into endometrial-like cell implants during puberty. Then there's also the explanation of surgical scar implantation that is after a surgery, such as a caesarean section, endometrial cells may attach to the surgical incision. There's also the explanation of endometrial cell transport. The blood vessels or tissue fluids called the lymphatic system may transport endometrial cells to other parts of the body. And then there's a final explanation of the immune system disorder. A problem with the immune system may make the body unable to recognize and destroy endometrial-like tissue that's growing outside the uterus. So when people ask me, what causes endometriosis? I tell them the exact cause is not known, but we have theories, explanations. Number one, retrograde menstruation. Number two, transformation of peritoneal cells. Number three, embryonic cell transformation. Number four, surgical scar implantation. Number five, endometrial cell transport and number six, immune system disorder. And before we go back to Cynthia, I want to talk about some of the risk factors. And if you listen to Cynthia, if you see her, she does have some of the risk factors. She has a low body mass index. That is, she's a small frame person. 
she started her period at a very early age. And she had some of the other risk factors are for people that have short menstrual cycles. For instance, the cycles coming less than every 27 days. Some people also have heavy menstrual periods that last longer than seven days. Some people also have a history of never giving birth. Some people have higher levels of estrogen in their body or a greater lifetime exposure to estrogen in their body. And then there are other risk factors in that one or more relatives, that is a mother, an aunt, or a sister, gives a history that is suggestive of endometriosis, at times even without them having received a formal diagnosis. And then another risk factor is any medical condition that prevents the passage of blood from the body during menstrual periods. And finally, if a woman has disorders, at times congenital, that is she was born with this, disorders of her reproductive tract, that can be a risk factor for endometriosis. So endometriosis usually develops several years after the onset of menstruation. And the signs and the symptoms of endometriosis may temporarily improve with pregnancy and may go away completely with menopause unless a woman is taking estrogen. So one of the main complications of endometriosis is infertility and or impaired fertility. So approximately one third to one half of women with endometriosis have difficulty getting pregnant. So for pregnancy to occur, an egg must be released from an ovary, travel through the neighboring fallopian tube, become fertilized by a sperm cell, and attach itself to the uterine wall to begin development. Endometriosis may obstruct the tube and keep the egg and the sperm from uniting. But the condition also seems to affect fertility in less direct ways, such as endometriosis itself damaging the sperm or the egg. Even so, many people with mild to moderate endometriosis could still conceive and carry a pregnancy to term. So, Doctors make the diagnosis of endometriosis by actually taking a woman to surgery. The best way is in a minimally invasive way, looking inside her abdomen, observing the endometrial implants by their typical characteristics, and taking a small piece of tissue to send to the pathology lab for diagnosis. (music) 